You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belisle, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. A lot of the kids want to talk about, they want to have a conversation on race. They want to sit down and really discuss what it means, what it spreads to, the economics, the, I mean, all the issues around it that surround it. It's coming from high school kids. You can't just gloss over that things are fine. You gotta, you gotta talk about them so that people then understand, I may not like you, but I can respect you, I can trust you, and I can communicate with you. It's a really profound idea that we're inheriting the world. And there's gonna be a day that comes very soon for all of us within the next 10 years where we're gonna be the ones in government. We're gonna be the ones dealing with major issues. We're not gonna be on the sidelines anymore watching what our parents are doing. No matter how much someone in our generation might complain about our flaws, but there are flaws in every generation. And there are also a lot of great people that come out of each generation too. And I think a lot of those great people come from Seeds of Peace. The Summit Project, the number one goal is making sure that main heroes are not forgotten. We need to tell their story. We need to make sure that they don't end up just being a, a name on the wall. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 165, airing for the first time on Sunday, November 9th, 2014. Today's theme is prioritizing peace. How do we get to a place of peace? Usually by navigating through conflict. It can be difficult and uncomfortable to understand others who do not share our views. Today, we speak with Tim Wilson and Moses Small from Seeds of Peace about the importance of truth, dialogue, and mutual respect in conflict transformation. We also talk with Ted Cawthon about how the Summit Project honors lives that have been lost in the interest of peace. Thank you for joining us. Here on Love, Maine Radio, we understand that in order to be um, peaceful and compassionate and have a peaceful and compassionate community, it really is something that we need to actively engage in. And there are two individuals with us today who really can speak to this to a much greater degree than um, even I can. Today we have with us Timothy Wilson, Tim, who is the Senior International Advisor for Seeds of Peace and the Maine Seeds Director for Seeds of Peace. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. We also have Moses Small, who is a junior at Portland High School and considered to be a, a seed. You are a Maine seed, is I that am, true? I am. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Tim, let's start with you. You have a very extensive background with Seeds of Peace, and um, I want to talk about what Seeds of Peace is, but first I want to understand why is this idea of conflict transformation, whether it's in Maine or whether it's international, why was this so important to you? 
Um, let me start off by saying that the Seeds of Peace is 23 years old or will be 23. And the person who started it was uh, John Wallach. Uh, he passed away in 2002, much too young. But he, it was his idea. He believed that the transformation came from young people. And the way to do that was to interact with conflicting groups with young people to get them to, he had a term, wanted the enemy to see the, the other person's face so that he would understand a little bit more about him, about that person. And that, that's the crux of the beginning of the program, which started in 1993. I can only say that John had a vision, and I happened to be a long, you know, partner in a sense in that with the other co-founder, Dr. Mrs. Bobby Goschuk, who is still alive and she's still very much involved with the program. She's like the grandmother of it, and and uh, but John, it was John's program, and I just happened to be there at the time when they wanted to start it, and I ran the camp up until 2006, and then uh, retired for about a half a minute, and they got me to continue, but we've we have a situation where um, the camp is the foundation, but we run programs in the Middle East, in, and that's Egypt, Jordan. And uh, Palestine, and I happened to be the person after that to go out 2002 to 2006. I lived out there and helped develop some of those programs, and so I had a really interesting time in the international part of it. And then we have our domestic side, which is Maine and Syracuse, where we take some of the things from the original program and move it into our own issues that we have in in our country, with the, with the influx of immigrants from around the world. What people will typically remember Seeds of Peace for um, is the camp here in Maine. That's correct. Where children, who I think are their high school age, they are, are brought um, from Israel. Israel, Palestine, and Palestine and Egypt, and Jordan were the big four. They evolved to that around 2007. But before that, we had... we had countries coming from North Africa. We had countries from the Gulf. Um, so at one time, I remember we had 20, 22 countries in camp at the same time, um, which was different. Uh, plus, uh, we did the Balkans and we did Cyprus, the Balkans doing the Balkan War, and we did Cyprus with their whole issue uh, with the Greek and, and Turkish Cypriots. It's also it's interesting to me to hear you talking about this and think about the interview that we did with George Mitchell and the work that he has done with conflict and conflict in the Middle East and other parts of the world. And to know that this is something that Maine has, for some reason, gotten involved in. Well, I think, I think you know, knowing the, the senator, I mean, I do know him. And he is and he has spoken many times to seeds at different confabs we've had as well as uh, he's received an award from seeds so he's been an integral part of the growth of our our program um, I think the best way to put this is that John felt that Maine was the perfect place to, to have seeds of peace he felt that the camp where the camp was located he felt that the the way things were done here. You know, you were left alone to do what you needed to do. If he tried to do that in New York, we would have been inundated by press and people all the time. But being in Maine, people let us do what we had to do, uh, which is only, it's only 45 minutes from here to camp, but the people understood where we were. 
but gave us the room to do things. Plus the government, our own main government, was involved. Angus King was involved. Um, Jock McKernan at the very beginning. You know, Governor Baldacci, uh, even Governor LePage. They've all been involved at some level as well as our congressional delegation. So they, I think that's the other side of it, that the support of the, the people who actually live here as well as the leadership was there to help us along the way. You spent 20 years as an educator. You were a language arts teacher. That's correct. So you saw some need for conflict transformation for addressing what goes on in relationships between students firsthand. True. I, I think that the, in the, the part that I, I don't always speak to, but I guess is appropriate for now, is um, I'm, I'm a black American. And so being in Maine for nearly most of my adult life, over 50 years, I... I've seen the transformation in many different ways, and I've seen young people who get the opportunity to meet people. I mean, you can remember now, this is a 97% white state, and all of a sudden you're putting all these new people in, and you see the transformation in how people react to each other over time, over the last 10 years. Alone would give you a little bit of, a, of that thought of what you brought up. And, and in classes, especially in schools, there are schools that have no one, but yet and still the kids that come from those schools, schools to be a part of Seeds of Peace go back with the knowledge and, 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 and having the opportunity to be around young people who are not from their backyard. And they, their empathy, their knowledge rubs off onto the rest of the neighborhood, which is, um, which is good. But on the other hand, you have a Native American population where people sort of ostracize them and our young people are asking the questions why, which is also good for right now for all the kids who are now a part of CGP because they see that as another frontier for them to change in this state so that we're more representative of what we should be doing at home. So, I mean, it's fun for me to watch. Moses, as you've been listening to this, um, how has this been relevant to your experience? You're uh, an AP student. You're studying AP classes at Portland High School. You're a musician. You're uh, you're currently a broadcaster, but you're an aspiring broadcaster. Um, you play violin. You sock. You play soccer. You've done drumming. I mean, you've done so many different things. You've been so involved in your high school community. What is it that Tim's saying that you can relate to in your own life? What I relate to the most I can, but just seeing so many different types of people. Because even myself doing these different activities, I've met different types of people, but I've never really engaged with them. Because at camp, you live with these people for two weeks, and you really do become a family in a way that's kind of hard to describe and hard to relate to something back at home. And so I know for myself at least, like, I was able to talk with a lot of other African-American kids who um, grew up with the same stereotypes I had being one of which in particular was um, being called white because you speak or act a certain way. And then you get to see an outside perspective from the people who would interpret that type of thing as a joke. And so you get to hear everyone's different view and you get to hear something that you would never hear back at home. You bring up an, an interesting point. I would never have thought that, you know, I guess because I am, I am white, I've never thought that being called white would be derogatory or in any way a... Um, problematic, but that's that's very. Uh, it's been going on for 
years. It's not, not anything new. I grew up with the same stuff. The kids know when I'm talking to them. Um, you know, as you said, I'm a language arts teacher. I came out of a city. And because my parents, I have older sisters, sister and older brothers who graduated from colleges long before me. And because I'm able to speak and act a certain way, you were, you were branded be acting white. Because that was a way to sort of keep you in your place within a smaller group of people in your own community, okay? It's, it goes back to identity. It goes back to just what people are like. And this, this isn't new. It's just, as you said, you've never heard it before, but we hear it all the time. And it is that part that, that affects kids, like the kids who come from Syracuse to our program. It affects them a lot more than it would somewhat for Moses. Because in their community, they don't, they don't have the, what I call the idols of young people that they can look to that are, that are moving along because they're all sort of caught in a, in a, in a time warp for me. Um, because the schools aren't in some of those places as good as some of the schools here. I mean, just, just the, that's just a fact. And the CUNYs aren't, their communities are having a tough time. You know, they, you're talking about larger cities, finances and everything else. They're the last people to get things. And some of the kids here are realizing that even though there are issues, they're realizing they're getting opportunities here that they couldn't get elsewhere. Just expanding on that, it's all about like different social experiences, I think, in the main session. And just this, um, the African-American stereotype that I personally don't with, just one example. But one thing, big thing you really learned there is that you spent two weeks escaping categorization. You spend two weeks without social anxiety, without fear of judgment, and that really just changes you. It makes you see everyone else just a different way. That's true, and I think high school um, in particular can be a very challenging social time. So you're dealing with just really baseline things that that are related to things like identity and um, socialization and understanding your own just where you fit in the larger scheme of things. So to be able to have that space at Seeds to explore things from a different um, vantage point must be very useful. Well, they get to do it 90 minutes a day. You know, and that means a lot. It's called dialogue, and they, we have two professional facilitators to help them. And that's a safe space. And the kids in those dialogue sessions get the opportunity to talk about things they would not normally talk about, but knowing it was a safe space, that none of that was going to go somewhere else, other than if, uh, unless it was a health and safety issue. But in general, that make, that's the difference, even to the, to the kids from the Middle East. They get to do the same thing. They get to talk about those things, the pain that comes from war, comes from conflict. And once you get past blaming each other, then you get down to the nitty-gritty about what am I going to do to make it better? How can I help? That's, that's the part that you said, the formal task of, of, of the whole idea. And I think when John started it, that was the key. We we worked at it for the first three or four years of getting that dialogue to a place where kids felt, geez, that's the most important thing at camp. Grant, I get to play basketball or play my violin or whatever, but that 90 minutes a day makes a difference. Here on Love Maine Radio, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. 
Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Making peace with your finances is easier said than done. We have spent a lifetime being programmed by our beliefs and behaviors interacting with our inherited nature. Making peace with all of that is one of the biggest steps forward you can take. It's a step that can certainly remove a lot of anxiety from your life. Consider this scenario that a lot of us have gone through or that you may be going through right now. You have money to support yourself and your family, but it's not always there at the right time or you don't believe that you can access it. That happened to me recently and also in a big way in 2008. Like you, I have experienced these financial highs and lows. It feels as though you're on some kind of a strange roller coaster and that you're constantly wrestling with what you want versus what you need. You've got bills and really want to pay them off. You're sort of living in the past so you can move forward. Finding peace in the middle of our culture can make it difficult to make good financial decisions, especially if you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. The first step is to stop and breathe. Look around. Walk around. Talk to people. Trade and commerce are going to happen. Money is what makes it easier. Like Shepherd Financial on Facebook, and we will help you evolve with your money peacefully. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. Tim, as you've been working through um, these programs with SEEDS, this started in 93, you said, so now you're... um, it's a couple decades old. Well, you're a little bit, you personally, a little bit older than that, yes. But the program is a couple of decades old. It seems to be one that um, continues to evolve. You've done the Middle East, and you've extended beyond the borders of the Middle Eastern conflict. You've brought students um, from Maine schools. You, you've brought students from Syracuse. And you've actually talked about the um, Native American population in Maine. Do you think this is a new frontier for SEEDS? Is this a direction that you may go in at some point? It's not. A, it's a direction we have to. We've been requested to do that. It's taken us, believe this or not, 10 years to, to be able to do this with the Native Americans. It has a little bit on their side, a little bit on our side. But we're looking for this next summer to add the Passamaquoddies and the Penobscots that make Max and the Maliseets to camp. Uh, we have the right people in the right places to now make that occur, which would be good because the northern part of Maine, that's the thing that many of the students up there that I've talked to say we've got to do something with that. I, I don't know if you read the Portland Press-Herald articles and some of the other things that have been written, but, I mean... 
here we are dealing with things overseas and other places, but we still haven't dealt with this issue that's still, you know, up in the woods, you know, vis-a-vis Wiscasset when the lady said, I'm going to have Redskins for my driveway, and they changed it to Micmac Driveway, now our street. After all the years of cleaning that up in the state, all of a sudden somebody else wants to bring it up. Well, we did the right thing up here. I don't care what they do in D.C. with the Schneider and the, and the Washington football team. That's a whole other issue. But still, it's an issue. And some, as you said, we never confront that kind of stuff. We sort of bury it. And the kids, I mean, drifting a little bit, but a lot of the kids want to talk about, they want to have a conversation on race. They want to sit down and really discuss what it means, what it spreads to the economics the, I mean all the issues around it that surround it it's coming from the high school kids you know as you said what's the ages well the kids that come to main seeds are generally most of them are sophomores and freshmen going from their freshman to sophomore year sophomore to junior year the middle international group is a little bit different many times it's a, their kids are sophomores to juniors in some cases but most of them are juniors to seniors so there's a there you know similarities and some differences, but they all come away. This whole thing around socioeconomic issues, race, that whole all that ties together, and you have your religious issues. Yeah, it's there. They're there. They're there. And you know you got it. You can't just gloss over that. Things are fine. You got you got to talk about them, so that people then understand. I may not like you. But I can respect you, I can trust you, and I can communicate with you without necessarily being best friends. That's a premise of what we work with. Is it because there is such enormity to these topics that people don't want to deal with it? I mean, race is so in your face, and it's also so big that people feel like, I can't get a handle on it. It's, it's almost like the environmental effort. Well, I, I can't change the world, so I'm not even going to bother to recycle. Is that part of the issue, that people get overwhelmed? Or they, is there fear? Why do people... I mean, I guess, Moses, you look like you have an answer for us. Yeah, he, he does. It doesn't seem, like you said, environmentally, it doesn't sound like, oh, we're doing this. It sounds like, to me, that everybody thinks racism is already over. And it's such a broad topic and everyone has a perspective, but most people really aren't willing to admit that their view may be something that's hard for a lot of people to agree with. And a lot, as Tim said, it's just respecting views that you might not have heard of, might not agree with. But a lot of people in Portland High School in particular, I've heard, they'll say, I'm not a racist person. I'm not racist at all. I have a lot of African-American, Asian, Hispanic friends, but I'm not going to talk to an immigrant. So there's kind of a real disconnect between what they see as racism, what they see as prejudice, and they think that they're completely free of racism and all, but really that's not what their actions show. Yeah, that's that is very um, that's a good observation that the that people say, well, it's over. We've already dealt. You know, we had the Civil Rights Act. It's this kind of like gender equity. Oh, well, women and men are the same. Let's just expect this. That and homophobia that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, there's so many different things that still persist, even though we maybe have done some big on your fa- on your um, to your face kind of things. There's still stuff that is subtle, and it sounds like it's the subtlety that is the real painful 
aspect of all of this, like being called white, you know, say you're talking like a white person or, you know, the Redskins example that you've given, that it's these subtle things that can really cause you to feel over time so much frustration, anger, resentment. We take people who are my age and, and you see things the way they're going. Just recently, someone asked me, has it, how much has it changed? I said, outwardly, it's changed a lot. Inwardly, it has changed, hasn't changed at all. It depends on, A, economically where you are, B, educationally where you are, and C, your location. When you put that all into the computer now and you go through all the stuff that they do now, you'd be surprised how much it remains the same. Back to the, what you just said, and more so what Moses said. We, we do a good job of uh, instant magic. You know, we don't want to work at anything. And if you work, I mean, seriously, one person at a time. If I take my time to recycle something, I've done my part. Maybe some, maybe my grandchildren will pick up what I'm doing and do the same thing. That's a long-term investment. You know, it's the investment of your time and your energy to make things better. If I have a conversation with you and you have a conversation with me, we may not agree, but we can open up the conversation. And guess what? If somebody's listening, they have a different divergence of different people having conversations. It's not all the same way. That's legitimately what's wrong with politics. One way in which I'm um, intrigued to see things moving is I have a 13-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 21-year-old. And they are able to, they, the older ones especially, have maintained relationships as a result of technology largely, um, in a way that never was possible for prior generations. And I think it is the maintenance of relationships, which you sort of alluded to, that has made this so much more interesting. So Moses, you're, I'm assuming, somewhere around 17? 16. 16. So the likelihood that people that you have met when you were 10, 12, 15, 16, and continuing some connection with um, later in your years, that probably shifts the way you think about them as individuals and your willingness to engage in, I don't know, trust, respect. I don't want to assume anything. What, what do you think? It definitely does help you stay in contact with people. You get to talk to people who you never get to see. Someone, a friend who might have moved away, someone who was far away to begin with. But I don't necessarily think that it deals with any of the core issues because you still see people's prejudice. I mean, for example, I saw something I really do not support on Twitter, PHS unwritten rules, one of them was stay away from the upper calf, because that's where most of the immigrants and people who are from the United States, that's where they sit. And so you still see this prejudice, and I don't really think it does anything to break down, as you said, this culture of avoidance of issues. So social media isn't going to be a place or isn't a place now or ever really that I will see where people will deal with deep conflicts. That needs to happen in person, face to face, or else people are going to retreat back to their comfort zone, back to their friends, back to the people they're following on Twitter. Well, and that's actually, that is a good point. I think social media can be a good tool, but like any tools, it can be used in a positive way and a negative way. I, I guess what I was thinking is, you know, my, my daughter who is at college, she maintains some sort of 
contact through social media. And then that causes her, when she comes back from college, to want to get back together with people that maybe she wouldn't have otherwise gotten in touch with. Not just her good friends, but maybe um, she was at a swim meet this weekend. She saw a friend of hers that she used to swim with from high school. You know what I'm saying? Like that sort of connection makes it more possible. But I agree with you. I mean, I think that it's the face-to-face. And frankly, f- people feel uncomfortable being face-to-face, I think. And, that, and more so now. And more so now. I think there is a disconnect that occurs as a result the, of the technology. The typical conversation that kids get from me is that uh, I use offices for an example. Um, there are people that sit in cubicles side by side and something comes up instead of reach, going around the cubicle and speaking to the person about the issue they send an email they send an email yeah. to me that's the problem I mean I, I, again I'm older I mean I just got in touch with someone using social media who I have not seen in 40 years but it just happened that by Facebook, by the death of someone else, I followed up, and we've t- we actually spent a mo- immense amount of time with each other, and here we are talking on the phone finally after all these years. That that's a plus, but on the good side of that, we've made a deal how we're going to get together and see each other face to face. That to me is the other side of that. But going back to the issue, the problem we have, it's easy to spew things about people badly when you can just do this when you have to look at them face to face and say so and so and so is the case that's not necessarily going to happen because now we have an out now we have an out and and the more Twitter and all these other things I mean the kids have got me on some of this stuff I they joke about it I used to throw my beeper into the water when I was at camp because I did, hated it I'd go swimming with it years ago and everybody used to laugh about it because they knew it was true and my wife finally and my sons finally said no we got your cell phone now now what are you going to do with it and I a couple times I went to water with that too but that's neither here nor there but the, the idea was I hated them and I still don't I mean I do well now but I understand that part of me that just finds that just offensive I love guys who say I'm not on Twitter who are you know who are you know, up the line in media and whatever, and say, I'm not on Twitter. I, yeah, Facebook, nah. You know, they really despise it. Um, I, the point is, it's not going to go away, so that's how I look at it. You can help make it better by sometimes what you say, but it's there. Definitely, it can be used both ways. I guess for people my age, we don't make that much of a big deal out of it because just a continuation of how we talk and, communi- and communicate with people. But... It just seems like it's just the same as they would in person. So if this person would say something bad, then necessarily they they might feel more free to say it on social media, but that's the type of person that had a lot of things harbored in them to begin with. So definitely social media is not a problem for people our age. It's just how they want to say certain things. Moses, I'm wondering what you think your legacy is. My legacy is basically just youth empowerment and just not having fear. Because in camp, I realized that I was living with anxiety and everybody else was that no one was noticing because there's constant pressure from social media. Is someone going to subtweet you for this? Is someone going to talk badly about you for that? And I guess just if I had to define what my legacy is at 16, it'd be breaking down this culture of avoidance. Tim, what about your legacy? That's mine. 
all these kids. I mean, I I feel fortunate because uh, I've been in Maine since off and on since 1960. I coached here. I taught here. I've done seeds. I've done a myriad of things, whether it be coaching sports or whatever. You know, I feel very honored. I'm in the wrestling hall of fame and the football hall of fame for coaching. I mean, all community stuff. I mean, my point is, is that. I've had the opportunity to work with so many different people, whether they be governors to, you know, the guy who, who used to fix my phones at Fairport when I was at camp. But it's the kids. It's the, the now that they're, you know, I've got people now that are superintendents of schools, principals, you know, coaches, whatever, and what they're doing with kids and what they see and what they're trying to see. Um, their effect on kids also my effect on them has an effect on the kids they're dealing with now so that's how I see it like like Moses saying what he says makes me proud and and that's my legacy it's what I'm leaving behind is the you know the, the, these young people who I think you know I, I think they're going to do fine you know we all like you have children I have mine are much older uh, but I have three grand four grandchildren and uh, my granddaughter is just shades above me in a lot of ways. The things she's already doing, and she's just 19. She's a sophomore in college. She's uh, uh, just unbelievable, the, the potential that she has. But it stems from the same kinds of things that Moses is talking about. That's where I see any parent or anyone else who has, you know, they're, they're around young people. The idea is to move that forward so that they're proud to be, as Moses was saying, the empowerment. That to me is the most important thing because we need that. We truly do. How do people learn more about Seeds of Peace? <laughs> we have, you know, we have a, a big website, www.seedsofpeace.org, and we you know, like I said, you get on that website and you can read all the things that are going on, whether it's about the staff, because some of the staff are phenomenal. Moses, is there anything you would add to Tim's comments? I would just say that the best way to learn about C2Ps is to talk to someone about it. Because anyone who's been there, anyone who's facilitated or been a counselor can talk for hours on it. And reading the words on the website, you get an idea for it, but it's really more of a feeling. You need to see how deeply everyone really believes in what they're saying and what we're doing at Seeds of Peace. And just getting used to the idea in our generation that it's a really profound idea that we're inheriting the world. And there's going to be a day that comes very soon for all of us within the next 10 years where we're going to be the ones in government. We're going to be the ones dealing with major issues. We're not going to be on the sidelines anymore watching what our parents are doing. And so I think Seeds of Peace is just one way of preparing us for that. No matter how much someone in our generation might complain about our flaws, but there are flaws in every generation. And there are also a lot of great people that come out of each generation, too. And I think a lot of those great people come from Seeds of Peace. I encourage people to go to the Seeds of Peace website and learn more about all the individuals who have done great things as a result of being part of Seeds, and then also the opportunities for this next generation that is coming up. It's really been an honor to speak with both of you today. Thank you. It was robbing us. Thank you. Uh, we've Enjoy. been speaking with uh, Tim Wilson, who is the Senior International Advisor for Seeds of Peace and the Maine Seeds Director 
um, for Seeds of Peace. And also Moses Small, who is an AP student at Portland High School, musician and aspiring broadcaster. And having listened to your voice, I really can't imagine why you wouldn't end up being a broadcaster. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being a part of Love, Maine Radio. Thanks for having us. Thank you. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. I can't imagine that I will ever be an artist. While I appreciate all kinds of art, I know that creating it is just something I'm not able to do. I don't have that kind of talent, and I find myself in awe of the people who do. Realizing that all of us have different and unique abilities and that we can't be good at everything is a tough thing to admit. It's a lesson I teach my children, but it's a lesson we all need to remind ourselves of as adults. Recognizing your strengths and talents early are keys to happiness and success. And leveraging those talents that others have is another key to a success. So while I may never have a gallery exhibition of my artwork, I find great joy in knowing that what I and my entire team have is the talent to help businesses run better. We are the leverage an entrepreneur needs to be successful. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Maine is home to not only um, many individuals who are dedicated to remembering people who have served our country and our state in, in ways big and small, but also amazing mountains. So when you combine these two things, amazing mountains, amazing people, you get the Summit Project. And today we have with us Ted Coffin, who is a volunteer with the Summit Project. Thanks so much for coming in and talking to us. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk about the Summit Project, um, but first tell me a little bit about yourself. You are from Portland, you went to Deering High School, and you now yep. live in Raymond. Yes, yes. Met my wife uh, 18 years ago, and she lived in Raymond, and I moved up there and, and love it. Love being out in nature, a little bit away from the city, but close enough to uh, to get into the into the city and still have some of the nightlife and the restaurants and whatnot. So for you, being um, outside is really important. You've Absolutely. been a hiker and you're an endurance athlete. Yes. So that's how you got involved with the Summit Project. Yes, yes. I met Dave Cote, who's the founder of the Summit Project in 2013 at the Run for the Fallen. And, you know, a few of us were training for some of our endurance events and honoring the, the, the fallen. We had uh, heavy backpacks, uh, some extra sandbags on top of that. And Dave Cote came up like the whirlwind that he is and introduced himself, said, I need some good, strong hikers like you guys, handed me his card, and off he went. And I was a little bit shocked, stunned, didn't know what had just happened. Uh, went back home after the event and researched and said, well, this guys he's the real deal. He's, his heart's in the right place and volunteered for the inaugural hike on uh, Mount Katahdin and told them I want to stay involved and do anything that, that you need done. So I've been working very closely with him since then. So describe the Summit Project. What is it for people who are listening uh, that the, don't know? The Summit Project is a, a living memorial. 
what we do is we collect stones from uh, from the families of the fallen, and they'll take stones stones that have sentimental meanings. They've come from farmers' field, from fire pits, from from riverbeds where they've done some fishing, or from mountains that they've hiked. They get the stones to us. We get them engraved, and the stones are uh, housed at the uh, um, maps, the military entrance processing station in Portland. They've got a beautiful room. Each stone has its has its own little shelf that it sits on. Uh, you can check out the stones, and we take these stones on tribute hikes. And there are several hosted events uh, where we've climbed Mount Katahdin and Cadillac Mountain. We carry the stones, carry them to the summit, and bring them back down so that other people can can do different events with them. And we learn about the fallen soldier that we're carrying. Uh, we think about them as we're hiking, and uh, at the end of the hike, uh, at the end of the hosted hikes, we'll, we'll meet the families. We'll hand the stone back to the families. We'll have that, that personal connection. And when all that's done, we'll uh, reflect on, on what it meant to us, what the hike was, what we thought about, and we'll write a letter back to the families and just keep that personal connection and just, you know, with the hopes of making Maine the smaller community that it is. For you, what is the connection between... Um the stone, the hike, and the fallen soldier. How do all of these things connect? It, it's it's amazing to me just to to hold this stone that um, that a family actually went to look for, found, and that that stone is is their soldier. It's their it's their son. It's their daughter. It's it's their uh, their, their brother or sister, um, and you can see that when they're when they're holding that. And when you when you get that stone and you and you hand that back to them, um, you know it's it's a it's, it's more than a hug. It's more than a handshake. Uh, you know you've actually carried carried a burden for just a little bit for them. It's a um, it's an amazing experience and it's amazing amazing connection with people that you may not otherwise have 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 known. So it's a way to have something have a tangible reminder. Of someone, yes. but at the same time, I think it's interesting that you use the word "carry the burden." Yes, that this sense that having lost someone dear to you, that becomes a heaviness, and for you to take on that heaviness and journey with it for a while and um, have it become part of you is important. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's more than it's more than a than a than a name on a wall, um, you know, or or a plaque or something like that. It, it's it you know to to me, it's not just a stone. It's a you know, it's a it's a living entity. It it uh, you know it, it takes on different forms for for the hiker, for the for the family, um, for people that that research and see it online. Um, I, I I've I've been involved long enough and and done enough with all the different stones that that the I see the I see the stones and I know who the stones represent and I know who the stories are um, surrounded around them. Um, so it's just it's a it's a very very unique and, and uh, amazing idea uh, to, to bring everyone closer together and, and uh, kind of help the, help the healing process as much as we can. You said that you first met uh, the founder at the Run for the Fallen. Yes. How did you first get involved with that project and why? I've, I've never been very patriotic. Uh, I have a grandfather that was in the military. I now have a, a cousin that's, uh, that's that's current military. And doing some of the endurance events that I do, they're a military-based in, endurance event. Um, 
so I've just met other people that, that, that are like-minded, that want to push themselves a little bit, met some different military people, and Run for the Fallen, it started out as just, it was, it was another training day. It was another, another race that we could do under some heavy weight. Um, started out with four of us that had, uh, we had, we had heavy backpacks, you know, we were carrying bricks in them. Two guys brought extra sandbags to carry. And as we got got rocking and we we rock a little bit and we'd walk a little bit and we got down to the part where the 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 signs were for all the fallen soldiers and there were families by them and at that point you know we were kind of swapping the the sandbag around a little bit just kind of sharing that extra extra weight and extra burden when we got down to the way those families were we were actually fighting over who got to keep the sandbag so you know we all just wanted to to carry that extra burden um a little bit farther after seeing these families and seeing seeing them kind of the 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 shock on their face the surprise the the happiness that that people would would do something like that to honor their uh, their fallen so this year we actually carried summit project stones during the run for the fallen um, so we knew whose stones we had we saw the families out there you know interacted with them and when we told them that I've got your son stone with me they they were just blown away and 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 they 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 love it they're amazed that we would that we would take on the just the very very slight burden that we'd take that on um for their for their soldier and, and tell their story and um make the connection with them as you were describing this um it, you got very emotional yes yeah. and it's something that this this happened a while ago you know this is something that and you've done it now twice. It sounds like. Yes. But you, st- you still carry these emo- emotions associated with the action yes, of um, connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a uh, um, we when we when we carry the stones to the top of of the summits, we'll do um, we do a, a ceremony where we we all talk about the stones. There's there's some there's some rules with the summit project. You need to you need to learn about the soldier. You need to, to, to read what's on the website. There's some videos posted. You watch the videos. And then you need to do some other research about the soldiers. You need to talk about the soldiers, talk about their families. You need to, to, to tell other people, make sure that, that the main heroes aren't forgotten. At the summit, we'll do a little ceremony where we, we talk about the soldier and we'll place a stone. And I, I have yet to get through that without getting choked up. Um, and just thinking about some of the hikes that we've done, I, I get choked up. I just can't. It's it's very emotional when you when you hand the stone back over to the uh, to the families. It's 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 an it, that's that's harder than than any hike that I've ever done. Is is handing it back over to the families and just and and knowing knowing what that what that means to them and and uh, and the connections that you're making. And then writing the writing the letters back is uh, it it takes some time to collect your thoughts and actually get that get that out on paper for the for the families to see. It must be very hard for these families to to have this gap in their lives, and it, and there must be some part of them that really wants to make sure that their soldiers, that their sons, daughters, grandchildren aren't forgotten because then otherwise it seems like such a waste such a waste yes. of life yes. 
Do you feel like what you're doing is speaking to the preciousness of yes. these lives yes. that have been lost? That that is the the number one goal. If 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 people don't get anything else out of what we talk about, the the summit project, the number one goal is making sure that main heroes are not forgotten. Um, we need to we need to tell their story. We need to make sure that they that they don't end up just being a, a name on the wall. They're a you know they were a person. They had a great life. Um, be, before they went to serve, they had a great life as they were serving. Um, a lot of these soldiers did some amazing things. Um, they, there, there's a lot of them that saved a lot of lives um, through their actions. Uh, and they've given us the freedoms to be able to do this, to be able to talk about this um, is, is just, it, it, it's amazing. Um, you know, and if we can help, if we can, we obviously can't ever, you know, fill that gap for the families. Um, but if we can, if we can just help them in any way, um, shoulder the burden for just a little bit, that's, that's what we want to do. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine Seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. Are there any stories that you can share with us um, about experiences that you've had without causing any um, problems with uh, confidentiality? Um, I just did a, uh, I actually just went on a, it was a non-hosted hike this weekend, and the uh, um, Lake Region High School, they actually built a six-week curriculum around the Summit Project. And uh, I hiked with 19 um, high school girls and didn't really know what to expect. And I wasn't planning on going. I had a trip that got cut short, so I was able to go. And I originally just wanted to go just to meet the girls to, you know, help help them get the stones loaded and everything. And and uh, turned out that I was able to hike with them for the day. And just from the from the beginning of when they were picking up the stones with how much reverence they were showing to to the stones to just you know hiking up the mountain and and talking to these I was just blown away I was amazed um, three of them were uh, our foreign exchange students that were there to carry the stones it's it's just it's it's amazing you know one girl one girl was from uh, Germany, and this is a this is just how small this world is, and it's a, that's another it's kind of the, another mainstay of, of the summit project is just making the connections and making every making the community a lot smaller. Uh, she lives in Germany. 
one of the stones from uh, Captain Jay Brainerd just came over from Germany uh, two or three weeks ago. I had the honor of carrying that stone on Cadillac Mountain two weeks ago. The girl from Germany had chose that stone because of that connection. She lives a half hour away from where Jay Brainerd's wife lives now. Um, so she she hiked that stone. She'll make that connection. I, no doubt they're going to interact, meet, when she gets back to Germany in a few months. Um, and just really neat and and just some of the some of the words that she said of you know she says if i can share you know if we share this in maine if i can share this in germany if if everyone around the world can see this kind of stuff and and know who these soldiers were and know that these soldiers are dying maybe soldiers don't have to die anymore just from you know from a 16 17 year old girl that was astounded. From a 16, 17-year-old girl who's from a country against whom we fought. Yes. In yes. World War II. Yes. yes. Just amazing and astounding. And the and and all of there were just so many stories like that this weekend with those girls. It it was just it was in, incredible. There was no you know they weren't stopping to take selfies and they weren't posting on Facebook and you know they the. It was just amazing, and they've done. They've already done an essay. They've they've done. Um, they did the hike. They're going to write letters back. They've got another program that they're going to do for the school reenacting the hike, and it's just just amazing. There was a couple of the the gold star moms that were there that that we were hiking their stones, and they met them, and that was just amazing to see the to see the connection there when they uh, when these girls met the met the moms. Just amazing. And a gold star mom is someone who has has actually lost a yes. child. Yes. When my my brother, I think I had a brother, a sister, maybe two brothers and a sister that were serving in the Middle East, and my mother had the flag that had three blue stars yeah. in the window, and this is a way to show that you have a child that is um, is serving. Um, all everybody came back, and those yes. stars stayed blue. Yes. But to have the gold star. That means that that transition has occurred, yes. and it's it's something that not everybody in current society knows about. Yes, and I didn't I I didn't know about it before before uh, getting involved with the Summit Project and meeting meeting the Gold Star families, and uh, um, you know it just that that term means so much more to me now than it ever could before. I'd seen it before, I'd heard it before, but just n- never paid attention to it. I'm thinking about my experience with um, the conflict in the Middle East and how the first conflict occurred while I was in college and then it kind of died down and then we had this other conflict that has just gone on and on and on and on. People are still dying. There is, there's still a war going on. There are still people who are sending their children over there to serve. And yet it's easy to forget that this is true. It's easy to just live our lives on a daily basis. What you are trying to do and what the Summit Project is trying to do and what the Run for the Fallen is trying to do, all of this is to remind us that this is still out there, that these people are still fighting, they're still serving, people are still losing their children, and that life is still valuable. Yes, yes. And and that's that, that's one of the things that, that, 
that at the military entrance processing station, when you go and see this room and this, you know, these, the, the, the shelves that are all, that were all hand built by volunteers, um, to see all of the stones there and just let it sink in that, that those, I mean, these are just, these are the soldiers, just the soldiers that have died since 9-11. And these are only the soldiers that the families have come forward to to donate a stone. There are some families that they just, it, it, they're not in the right place to be able to do that. Um, it's, it, it really brings it home when you see that. The, uh, um, the first time we loaded all the stones out to bring to um, Baxter State Park for our first hike last year, last Memorial Day, we emptied all of the shelves. And I just looked back on it and I think I said to Dave, I said, you know, I think the Summit Project is a great thing, but I'd rather that those shelves look just like that and there wasn't a stone up there at all. Um, you know, it, it, we can't do anything about the soldiers that, 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 have, that have passed to bring them back. We can make sure they're not forgotten. Um, you know, and hopefully this does bring some awareness, too, to, to you know, limit, limit some of the casualties that we have moving forward. Ted, how can people find out about the Summit Project? Uh, they can uh, just do a uh, Google search, The Summit Project, or the website is also mainmemorial.org. Lots of information on there about the about the different um, hosted events we do. Uh, you can there's a lot of in, in, information on individual stones and videos and testimonies and uh, letters from the family and then letters from the hikers back to the families are also posted there. So lots of lots of information there. Ted, I appreciate the um, the time that you have spent remembering those who have fallen and um, also connecting with the families of those who have fallen. Um, and as someone with many military members in my family, fortunately all who, of whom have arrived back on um, American soil safely, I know how important this is. So I appreciate the work that you are doing and um, the work of the Summit Project. We've been speaking with Ted Coffin, who is a volunteer with the Summit Project. Thanks for sharing your experience. Thank you for that. Thank you for the time. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 165, Prioritizing Peace. Our guests have included Tim Wilson, Moses Small, and Ted Coffin. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit themainmag.com backslash radio. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my daily running photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Prioritizing Peace show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. 
Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online editor is Kelly Clinton. Love Main Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love Main Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Thank you.